And because you are Lord, and we are not, we choose this day to submit ourselves under your mighty hand, that in due time you might lift us up. Lord, we just welcome you who are the living eternal word to come and speak your specific word for this hour, for this day, for this people. With your double-edged sword of truth and love, come and penetrate to the very core and marrow of our being, that we might receive and hear that which you have to say, and that you would be glorified and magnified. In the name of Jesus, all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. We're just getting a lot of echo and a lot of, it's just really something. Real tune can, tuna fish canny. All right, thank you for helping me with that. All right. Well, good morning. I will add my welcome to everybody else's. My name is Pastor Jim uh, Olson. I have the great joy and privilege of serving here as the lead pastor of Bethel Christian Fellowship St. Paul and the senior pastor for our family of churches, which comprise seven congregations, including the Himalayan Christian Fellowship, who uh, join us once a month when we share communion together with one another. So, the languages you were hearing this morning included Nepali, and were you, were you praying in Hindi there? All right. And uh, some other languages that you may have heard around you uh, in the tongues of men and angels in this house of prayer for all nations. Well, this morning we are continuing a series that we began uh, back uh, right after Easter out of the book of Ephesians, and we've entitled this series of messages a new way in the letter to, a f- letter to the Ephesians. So if you have your Bible, if you would turn with me this morning, I love the sound of pages being turned, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. If you don't have your Bible with you, pull up the one that's uh, located conveniently right in front of you and turn to page 828, and that will help you, um, because we're going to be uh, diving into the Word this morning, because... It is the foundation for um, our life together here. Uh, Christ is that cornerstone, and he is built with the apostles and prophets building his house, and uh, his word is integral to that building that he is doing among us. In Ephesians, uh, if you study the book of Ephesians, uh, if you've read it at all, it's one of my very favorite books in the Bible. Uh, you'll know that um, he begins in the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians with sort of the indicative, uh, by that I mean, who are we? It sort of begins with unfolding the reality of who we are as the people of God. And he goes into to great depth with incredible prayers and incredible rich uh, theology to help us understand what we are to believe about, our, about him, about ourselves. The whole purpose of Ephesians is to expand our vision. We sometimes get very uh, small in our vision, and Ephesians just puts wind into the sails and blows it wide open before our very eyes. And he gives this incredible uh, display of the wonder and mystery of the gospel and the goodness of God and the glory of the kingdom and, and who we are as a new humanity created, never before seen on the earth. And it's this incredible thing, ending with his great prayer at the end of Ephesians 3, which ends with, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. 
And then, as it were, the page turns in chapter 4. And he goes from what we are to believe, sort of that indicative to the imperative. What do we do then with this knowledge, this understanding of who we are in Christ? And he begins in Ephesians 4, 1 saying, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. In other words, your life is to be consistent with his calling, his purposes, his destiny for who we are. That is what we are to live. We're lived a life congruent with that reality. And then he goes on and unfolds some more for us in verses 2 to 16, which we won't take time to recount here this morning. Um, All to say is, as we turn then to verse 17, he sort of goes back to that thought of living a life worthy. And he says, verse 17, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. And the word there is from that uh, word martyr, it's the same for witness, It's, it's a deep passionate. I'm telling you this with all that is within me. In fact, I'm going to give my life, and Paul did give his life for the purpose of getting this penetrated into the depths of your soul. I insist on it in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in accordance with the truth that is in Christ Jesus. And here we have the words on the screen. You were taught with regard to your former way of life. You were taught in regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to be put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. A couple of weeks ago, we unpacked this in depth. Just let me put up kind of our takeaway for, uh, so that we understand this as we go into our text this morning. We are no longer to be conformed in character and conduct to our old life. We experience conversion when we definitely and permanently put off our old life and put on our new life. This is both a point of decision and a process of transformation requiring a daily, deliberate reorientation and renewal of our minds. (coughs) Now that's a lot to unpack there. You can always go back to the, um, you know, to the website to download messages. You can get the CDs in the back. You can get the PowerPoint so that you have those notes. But I would encourage you to kind of meditate on both that scripture and then on sort of the explication of that scripture, because this helps us understand the calling of the Lord. This is what he's insisting on. This is what it means to live a life worthy of the calling we've received. We're no longer conformed to the character and conduct of our old life. We're experiencing conversion as we, listen to these words, definitely and permanently put off our old life and put on our new life. It's both a point of decision and a process of transformation. And it requires a daily deliberate reorientation and renewal of our minds. We are saved and we are being saved. We are converted and we are being transformed. There's the unfolding process that's going on in each and every one of our lives. 
Now, starting in verse 25 and running through the rest of uh, chapter 5, so 425 through chapter 5, Paul begins to unpack what this looks like in various areas of our lives. Look here with me, verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood, speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin, and do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So Paul here unpacks some things that we're going to be looking at over the next several weeks. And also last week, one of our elders, Felix Amenemé, shared with us about new speech. So a new way of speaking is one concrete example of this conversion and transformation in our lives where we are no longer conformed in character or conduct to our old way of life, but have entered into the new way of life. In the subsequent weeks, we're going to be looking at that in terms of our work ethic, We're going to be looking at that in terms of our attitude, specifically in the area of anger and forgiveness. And we're going to be looking at that in the area of wisdom. This morning, we are going to be looking at it in the context of a new sexual ethic. And to begin, we're going to start here with, because this is the context now, is Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. In fact, this is the key verse to uh, what we're looking at in this whole sermon series here on a new way. It comes out of this scripture in Ephesians 5. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So this new life that we are living This new way that we are called into is the way of love. And here, the words um, walk in the way of love, follow God's example. It says in your, that's the new NIV translation, and the one that you have before you, it says, be imitators of God. The word there is mimeo in the Greek, it's the mimic, mimic God in this. In other words, pattern your life after him. Reproduce the family likeness of God our Father. Pattern your life according to his self-sacrificial love. Jesus reproduced that likeness perfectly and is the example for us to follow, patterning our lives after him in our speech, our sexual ethic, our work ethic, our attitude, and our wisdom. Okay? So I'm, I'm building a case for you here. I'm, hopefully you're helping, you're following along with me. Again, in the first three chapters, who we are. In the next three chapters, what we are to do. 
We are to live a life worthy of the calling we've received. I insist on this in the Lord that you no longer live according to your old pattern. What I'm insisting that you do is that you follow God's example, that you become imitators of God in his self-sacrificial love as dearly loved children. As you have received the love of God, now I want you to live that out and walk that out in your lives. So this is not something that comes out of your own ability and strength and your own, you know, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, but rather it comes out of the love of God being poured into your life. Having received the self-sacrificial love of God, you now get to pattern your life after Christ, who is the perfect example, the representation. He is the exact representation of God. He is the perfect mimic of God the Father, as it were, because he, of course, being God and man, 100% each, God in, in Christ, incarnation. He lived out that example, and now we are invited to live that out in our lives, in all of these areas of our life. With me so far? All right. Because this is the context now for what we're going to look at this morning, a new sexual ethic. Look at the words here, and you can read them along in your Bible. You can read them on the screen, on your personal screen on your tablet or whatever it is you're using this morning to come with me in the scripture. But listen carefully. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed. Because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. So what I would like to do this morning in our time together, and I know that there's children present, so I'm going to be careful in my language, but I want to, and and I'm glad that the children are here because I think this is an important thing for you to hear as well, even at your young age, and if there's things that you need to unpack with your moms and dads, I would encourage you to do that, and moms and dads, perhaps even to use this as an opportunity to talk with your children at an appropriate level of their age about these matters, but I, I, I think it's vitally important in a, you know, somebody has said we're living our life at the crossroads and the signposts have fallen down. If we as the church do not give and point towards truth and love and bring the signposts of the Lord before us, who will? <laughs> well, there's lots of people that will. So for ourselves and for our children, what I'd like to unpack for us is the contrast between our old life, which was marked by self-indulgence, and our new life, which is to be marked by self-sacrificial love. So what does it mean to be an imitator? What does it mean to live a life worthy? What does it mean to no longer live as the Gentiles do in the darkness, darkening of their understanding? How do we, what are we to live our lives as? What does this passage of scripture have to do with us here in 2014, United States of America? 
how do we live our life according to a new sexual ethic? And this new sexual ethic is an ethic that Paul lays out for us in the context of a culture which was deeply distorted in the area of its sexuality and sexual ethics. Ephesus was the seed of Artemis. It was the, uh, the, the goddess Diana, which was the goddess of fertility. Uh, sexual immorality and impurity and all of that was rampant throughout all of that area of Asia Minor, all, throughout all of the Roman Empire, as it were. Not much different than it is today. And into that, Paul inserts here to the Ephesians, and of course other places in the scripture as well, which we'll be referencing, an understanding of what it is to have a new sexual ethic. And so let's unpack that if we can. Five contrasts between a self-indulgent and a self-sacrificial sexual ethic. First of all, It's a contrast between immorality and morality. Now, truth be told, in our day and time, morality has gotten like an increasingly bad rap. And partly that's our fault, if we're honest with ourselves. Because morality can soon sometimes turn into a pale imitation, something kind of a a, a weak uh, substitute that's kind of a moralism that that's kind of based out of sort of this hectoring place or or this condemning or judgment you know it's it's this whole place that 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 people are instantly repelled from and let's be honest all of us are kind of repelled by rules and regulations anyway aren't we i mean if we see a line there's something instinctive in us that just wants to cross over it that's kind of called the old man um the fall you know the apple on the tree we want it right So, you know, nobody curbed my freedom. But in this area of sexual ethics, we need to understand that this morality does not come simply out of sort of some fences around, but it really comes out of a wellspring that we need to get a hold of in our hearts and understand this, or else we will not fully comprehend the importance of the morality that the Scripture unfolds for us. We've got to go over to 1 Corinthians 6 to really get a hold of this. And this, is, this could be a whole sermon series. I was talking to Pastor Sam as, as we were preparing this week for him, for him in Minneapolis and for me here. And I just was like, we really need to do a sermon series on this. And sometime perhaps we will. But you're going to get a series in a small chunk this morning. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Here's the deal, people. We have so truncated our sexuality and our sexual ethic has become something purely about our physical bodies and if it feels good, do it and whatever. And we have somehow divorced that from the reality that according to scripture, we are whole human beings, body, soul, and spirit. We cannot separate our body from our soul and our spirit. So sometimes it appears that, well, we're just lifting up sexual sins and we're saying that those are the worst sins of all, that those are the only ones that we ever want to talk about. Well, that's not true. Before God, all sin, you know, 
All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So all sins, whatever they are, separate us from the love of God. But here is the difference about sexual sin from other sins. And this is something that we need to understand and, and, and in the context of morality and immorality. Sexual sins have a greater consequence in our lives because they not only affect our bodies, but they truly begin to damage our soul and our spirit. Somebody was talking to Tim Stafford once, and a a young woman was asking, how do I, what do I say? You know, my boyfriend wants to do things with me, and and I'm trying to say no, and I don't know, and and, and how can I tell him that when he does this or that, that somehow that is, is, you know, that's impact in in that I need it, and I don't know how to, I don't know how to tell him about the guidelines, And, and Tim wisely said, when he leaves fingerprints on your body, he's also leaving fingerprints on your soul. those of you that have experienced the pain of of abuse, you know only too well that which I'm talking about. And almost everyone in this room, depending on your age and stage of life, at one point or another, you perhaps have been impacted or affected. You have either been one who has perpetrated or one who has, not, not necessarily just sexual abuse, but I mean, wounds and harms and and difficulties and and damages in you and you recognize that those things do not only impact your body but they impact your soul and that affects your spirit and so this isn't about oh the church just wants to shut everything down and keep everybody and sort of cellophane you know kind of behind iron bars and you know and and sometimes the church has done a poor job of explaining this very issue but i want you to understand that morality isn't simply about building fences it's about the wellspring of our life and the heart of our life we are temples of the holy spirit this temple is something to be guarded and treasured and cared for because you were bought with a price. You're not your own. Guess what? God believes that he owns you, and the reality is he does. Your body's not your own. So in a world that tries to separate that out, stop it. It's not right. It's not true. We are whole human beings. And a sexual ethic begins in this immorality, which is from the Greek word porneo. Of course, we get pornography and all those things. We'll talk about that in a moment in a very general way. But I just want us to understand that we are whole human beings, body, soul, and spirit. Everybody with me so far? So morality flows out of that wellspring. This is what God's concerned about. This is why he's concerned about these things. And when he talks about immorality and he talks then about impurity, those two words cover all sexual sins, all ways that deviate from God's plan and purpose for the ultimate fulfillment of our sexual expression in the context of a covenantal marriage between a man and a woman as it was in the beginning in Genesis, as it has been consistently throughout history and throughout Scripture. That is not some old morality. That is 
the scripture. And that is God's heart and his intent for our good. That's not a political statement. Though it's been politicized and has political ramifications, which is for another sermon another time. Impurity versus purity. This is interesting. When I was studying this, I discovered that this word impurity, listen to this, let this kind of grab hold of you because it's important. Impurity is the same word that is used for diseases that people contract when they dig up graves. How about that for a mind vision? Impurity is the same diseases that we get when we dig up graves. Your old man is to be decisively and deliberately and permanently dead. And when you go back and dig him up, you will get the diseases of the old man. Romans 6, 19 to 23. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourself as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourself as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you're now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now isn't it interesting that that scripture that we talk about and share, Romans 6.23, we share that, is in the context of impurity. So what does this mean, Pastor? It means this. Our actions have consequences. They lead either to slavery and death or freedom in life. Listen to me carefully. We do not need to condemn someone else about their impurity as we see it or even as the Bible unfolds it. We condemn ourselves by our own impurity. We condemn ourselves. Our actions, our mindsets, those things have consequences. They do lead to either eternal life with God or eternal death and separation from Him. That is reality. That is Scripture. Yes, it is not our job to be the one who decides who and what and where and how that is all unfolding. However, it is ours to simply proclaim the reality that your and my actions have consequence. And they lead to either life or death. They lead to either slavery or freedom. And any of you who have struggled in this area, and most of us have in one fashion or another, Know the slavery that can come. But oh, the joy of the freedom that is ours in Christ when he comes to liberate us, and he does. Third, 
inordinate desire versus contentment. The word here in the NIV uses is greed. It's actually the same word for covetousness. And in this particular context, it means both greed for things, but it also means covetousness of people. The 10th commandment in Exodus chapter 20, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. We live in a culture that celebrates desire, whether it's the great temples that we have built that we call shopping malls, or all of the other ways in which our society has built itself around an unbridled covetousness and greed. The word of the Lord is very clear to us that whenever we desire someone or something primarily for our own gratification, we degrade their value and deny the goodness of God. We must take great care about this issue of greed in our lives. And yes, that will be for another conversation as well, the broader context. In this context, it's the greed for another person. It's objectifying. You know why one of the reasons that pornography is so pernicious and it is so violating is it objectifies that which is a treasure of God. And it's demeaning to the very goodness of God. Come on. Say it like it is. And this is why the call for us to contentment. It's hard. It's difficult. I've been a pastor for 30 years. I've walked with many, many, many young adults going through the sometimes what is, feels for them a prolonged agony of singleness with a desire and to, to be married. And that's a, a good and godly desire and, 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 and struggling with how to manage the very real reality of their sexuality and what to do with that and... and, and the invitation to all of us is an invitation to contentment. Married, single, whatever, and it's not easy. I'm not, please, I have, I'm, I'm not one of, to put a, like a little whitewash over the difficulties of this. Whether you're a single adult or a married adult, whether you're struggling with same-sex attraction or other sex attraction or whatever it is that you may be struggling with, the invitation of the Lord is to fidelity. The call of the Lord is to fidelity and contentment in Him. And it's hard. But when we do not govern, allow the Lord to govern our desires, they become like the waters that we see all around us flooding right now. A, a, a river without borders becomes a flood. 
A river with borders becomes something powerful and useful for good. I am so grateful with even the struggles that I had as a young man and as a young adult before I was married with some, some difficult issues in my own life and, and struggle with that, that when I came to my marriage with my wife, that we were the first to share with each other our intimacy. And that for 31 years, she's the only one that I have shared that intimacy with. That's not the case for everyone in this room. And if that's not your story, there is grace for you. And it's not only about your past story. It's now about your story going forward. Because there is the redemption and the goodness and the grace of God, which comes and brings transformation and healing and wholeness even into those, into those areas. And from this point forward, you can walk and bring those banks of love and truth around that river of your desire and discover contentment and discover the power. There is great power in intimacy. The intimacy I share with my wife after 31 years, our physical intimacy, but also that spills over into our soul and our spirit. There is a deep intimacy because there has been a boundary and a border that has kept a channel of life to flow between us and only us. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for God's grace in that area. In decency versus thankfulness, he talks here about this, about our talk, our, our mouth here. This is another piece of speech, but it's important in this context. In Ephesians 4, 29 and 30, Eugene Peterson in the message Describe, uh, paraphrases it this way. Watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps, each a word a gift. Don't grieve God. Don't break his heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for himself. Don't take such a gift for granted. So why does Paul talk about coarse talk as opposed to thanksgiving? Because one has to do with self-indulgence. The other has to do with self-sacrificial gratitude. And so what I want to say is this, our sexuality is a gift from God, not to be denigrated or degraded by our coarse language or off-color humor, but rather appreciated as a gift from God for our good and His glory. I stay fairly, actually, and this is just, this is more about me than anything else perhaps, but I stay pretty unplugged from, from, uh, from culture Contemporary culture, uh, you know, my kids will tell you that. I, I'm not, I'm, I'm wired in a little bit, but I'm not wired in very much. But whenever I do kind of come into our culture and, I mean, do you, do you actually see and hear what's going on? Sometimes, I mean, I don't, I, I hardly watch TV at all, and so, and that's not to, oh, you know, I'm so righteous, it's just, it's safer that way. But, but if I do, and I see, and I, you know, our, we're immersed. I was, and, and okay, I'm just going to say something here, and just, forget, you know, I was on a, pl- when I was coming on the plane ride home, and I was so exhausted from, from when I was down in Arkansas with the adoption of 
um, my new grandson, and I was coming home, and I thought, you know, I'm just going to unplug, and I'm just going to kind of wh- whatever, and there was, a, there, was a, um, there was an episode, and, and I'll just say it, it was an episode of Glee, and I was deeply grieved by what was being presented and what was being said and shared, and, and it was all done in this, wow, it's so... It's so good and it's so wonderful and we're all so, it's just so, and all of the talk about sexuality and all the things and the coarseness and it's not just that. I'm not just, so okay, not just throwing out at one thing. That just happened to be the thing that came across my radar. But it's everywhere. And God says your sexuality is a gift. It's a treasure. It's something that's, that's beautiful and precious and valuable. And you want to just throw it in the dirt and kick it around for a while and ha, <laughs> No. No. It's too precious. It's too beautiful. It's too good to do that. Does this make sense? Idolatry versus submission. And here's where it really comes. This is the last point. This is the last of the five. We're almost done. Your discomfort is almost over. Just hang in there. Just a moment longer. Thank you. Romans chapter 1. Therefore God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. God gave them over. He just he released them into their life. But really the issue here is idolatry. It's idolatry. Whenever we worship something other than Him, whether it is another person's body, whether it is... Um, even, you know, this whole issue of sexual identity, which is a very significant and important topic, but at the heart of our sexual identity, before even the, our sexual identity, the fundamental reality of who we are, even before our sexual identity is our identity as children of God. And that's the framework for the whole conversation about sexual identity. We've got to not, you know, we're, we're, we're nibbling away at the outside when God says, I want to get to the heart of things. You're my kid. And I love you. And I created you. And I've got good purpose and plan for you. And let me help you figure and sort that out and what that looks like in the context of your lived life. So if we make sexual identity the idol, or we make whatever it is the idol, anytime we make our own desire the idol, the nice big flat screen TV, the idol, whatever it is, the iPod, the iPad, the whatever, all of the things that we have in our contemporary world that can become distractions and things. And before we know it, those are the things that begin to control us because an idol is something that controls your life. 
We must bring ourselves in submission unto the control of God. All right. So, ultimately, self-indulgence is idolatry in that we serve ourselves or others rather than God. Worshiping our passions rather than Him. Do not let yourself be enslaved. All right. You do, oh, doing okay? Maybe, maybe not. For some of you, so here's the, here's the deal. You bring a word that has a prophetic edge to it, and my pastor heart is very aware that in the context of a congregation and a people of this, and I, I've been here 24 years, I know us. I know we struggle. I know we've had hurts. I know we have pain. So the, the problem or the potential problem here is you hear this word and it's all condemnation and all you do is walk away going, yeah, it's all true. I really am a absolute, you know, whatever. I'm a worm. I'm horrible. It's not the word that the Lord wants to bring to you. The word that he wants to bring to you is dearly loved children. I love you so much. So I, w I want us to walk in a freedom of experiencing a new sexual ethic. And here's what I think that that can look like. First of all, it's the facing of our brokenness. See, Adam, after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they're walking and God's looking for them. And God says, Adam, where were you? And, and Adam answers and said, well, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. I mean, the first thing that was exposed was Adam's nakedness. The first thing that, that the knowledge of good and evil exposed was his nakedness and, and shame. It's just all around this area of, of our sexuality. Shame is just, it's just rampant. And, and the Lord wants us to face our brokenness and bring out of the darkness into the light. And you need to do that in appropriate contexts. If you're a woman, you need to find, we have, uh, you know, we have many women in this congregation who have a level of maturity to be able to walk alongside of you. We have many men in this congregation who have the ability to walk alongside of you in these areas. But together, we can face our brokenness. Because you can't go over it or under it or around it. You just got to go through it. It's been my experience. Face our brokenness. Secondly, embrace the truth. Embrace the truth. Isn't it interesting that in the armor of God, which we're going to get to a little bit later in the series, at the end of the series, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The belt of truth is the thing that covers this area. It covers physically our genitals it covers the area of our of our bodies out of which flow our creativity and our life and our reproduction and all of that and it's the belt of truth that is there to cover i don't think that's like a coincidence i think god put that there for a reason third receive restoration i love this in in john 8 the woman's caught in adultery and all the guys get around and they're ready to stone her. Who knows what's happening with the guy that they caught too. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff here. Power dynamics and 
there, there's just more stuff than I have time to unpack. And Jesus is writing in the sand and whatever it was he's writing, all of them start leaving. And finally, it's just Jesus and the woman. And he straightens up and he asks her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then listen to this. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus does not condemn us for our brokenness. He heals us of our brokenness. And he says, and now I want you to go forth and walk in newness of life and truth and freedom in him. That's what restoration looks like. And guard your purity. Purity isn't something you achieve, it's something you guard. It's a gift from God given to you, which you get to have the opportunity to protect with his grace. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forever. Amen. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. He's able. What do I do with this overwhelming passion, this addiction, this slavery, this... To him who is able. Can you do it in your own strength? No. But Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Spirit of God living in you can energize and create the opportunity for you to walk in freedom and life and newness. And finally, we come full circle to Ephesians 5. Choose love. Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Somebody has wisely said, the greatest antidote to lust is love. Lust is a, it's a, it's a artificial false, it's like a, a, somebody caught out in the ocean on a lifeboat and runs out of water. And then they feel like they, they can't do anything else but begin to drink the salt water, forgetting that salt water has seven times too much salt and the kidney can't process it. And actually somebody drinking salt water dies of thirst because their body can't process it. We need the life-giving freshness of the water of his love in our lives. That's the water that will produce life. And he is the one who has the water. So, worship team, come on up. You've been really patient. It's been a, taking me a little time this morning to unpack this. I, I'm not apologizing because this is not a subject to be done in 15 minutes. I hope you've heard the, not only the words, but the heart from which they're shared today. As your pastor who loves you and as one who stands before you having experienced conversion and continuing to be in the process of transformation, I stand before and with you today as one who is here to receive the goodness of God. We're going to sing the last closing song, Overcome. We have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Can you put up the words for a moment? I just want to, the words to the last song.
this table that we came to today reminds us that the power of sin and death, and yes, the part of the power of sin is shame, has been broken in the cross. So I stand here today to declare to you the goodness of God over your lives and His desire for you to walk in the fullness of who you are and to walk into the reality of this new sexual ethic by His grace and with His power. And so as we sing this, if you, if you just feel prompted, I mean, there's no shame in this house and nobody's going to say, well, I wonder what they did. You just want to join me here because, man, it's level ground at the foot of the cross. But if you just want to come and present yourself before him as a living sacrifice and as that temple of the Lord and just say, Jesus, come and cleanse my life today. Come and heal my life even in this area. Come and, and do a work and forgive me and forgive those who have who've wounded me and, and you just want to take another step of transformation this morning. I invite you to come. We're going to sing this and then I will give a benediction. But if we just hang in here while we sing this together, could we stand to our feet? If you want to come to the altar, you are welcome. Seated. Just open your hands. Jesus, thank you that you have overcome. Thank you that you give us a testimony when you overcome in our lives. For those who today need a fresh overcoming, would you come today with the flood of your love and of your spirit and your grace and goodness and wash clean in the name of Jesus. And now with open hands, may you be filled afresh this very day. with the immeasurable love of God the Father, with the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, with the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit be with you and yours. As you go from this house to yours, sent to make disciples of all nations, go with the banner of His favor over your lives and until we gather again either in this house or in our eternal home, I pray that His love and goodness and mercy will chase you down every day of your life in the name of Jesus. God bless you. Go in his grace in Jesus' name. Amen. You're welcome to stay and continue to do work with the Lord if you're at the altar. If you want to come, God bless you.